Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Litmer. I am one of the elders at the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And today's episode is going to be a bit of a spiritual potpourri in that I have a number of different things I want to talk to you about. The first one I'm going to entitle, Love, the Cross, and Giving. Love means many things to different people, but I believe that most would agree that love, by its very nature, involves giving. If I love someone, I give to that person, to the best of my ability, what that person needs the most. God is love, according to 1 John 4 and verse 8, and therefore he gave what was most needful to the world. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The love that our Lord Jesus has for mankind was also demonstrated in the most graphic and powerful way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, we are told, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. In order to picture the incredible magnitude of the gift that Jesus gave because of his love, try to contrast what he left with what he came to and received in this world. He was rich, yet he became poor. How do we describe what Jesus had in heaven? I don't think we can, but I marvel at the significance of part of what the Lord's Prayer in John 17:5 has to tell us. He said, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. If Jesus had left heaven and had been born in the palace of Caesar and shared in the physical wealth of the whole world as emperor of Rome, he still would have been abysmally small and poor in contrast to what he left in heaven. When it comes to love and giving, Jesus set the supreme example. Paul used the Lord's great gift to motivate Christians to give and to show us what giving is all about. In 2 Corinthians 8 verses 7 and 9 we find, Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Paul's continued teaching along this line led to the exhortation of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. This is what Paul wrote. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, 
and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according to his purpose in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Jesus' gift of himself was the ultimate expression of love. The Lord himself said, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That was John 15 and verse 13. How much greater was the Lord's gift of love when he laid down his life for those who were certainly not living as his friends. So Paul uses the Lord's gift to help us understand our giving. Once again he wrote, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. Can we not see what it is that makes the, or takes the sting out of giving, that makes us give sacrificially and to the best of our ability? It is love. And when we truly love, we will give appropriately. All we need to do is look to Jesus to see the clear and obvious connection between love, the cross, and giving. I want to talk to you about two statements of Jesus. At the age of 12, Jesus went to the city of Jerusalem with his parents to celebrate the feast of the Passover. When his family left the city, they thought that Jesus was in the company of those traveling together, their relatives and acquaintances. But in fact, Jesus had remained behind in Jerusalem. When they realized that he was not with them, Mary and Joseph returned to the city to look for their son. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers. When they asked him why he had done this, Jesus answered, How is it that you sought me? Know ye not that I must be about my father's business? That's Luke chapter 2 and verse 49. Now if we move ahead approximately 21 years to Luke chapter 23 and verse 46, we find the second statement of Jesus that I want us to consider. It is interesting that Jesus is probably not much more than a mile, if that, from where he had spoken those words in the temple so many years before. But now he is hanging on the cross. Jesus said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. That verse continues on to tell us, and having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Think of everything that had happened between, know ye not that I must be about my father's business, and, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Yet it was because of those first words and what they really meant that Jesus could say those last words. As a matter of fact, it is because of those first words that any Christian will be able to say those last words. There is a statement that Jesus made in John 8 in the midst of a discussion that he was having with some Pharisees that I want us to notice. In verse 29, Jesus said, And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. The word always meant then what it means now. Have you ever thought about how often we misuse the word always? We might say in frustration to someone, you always lie. From a more positive standpoint, we might say, you always have a smile on your face. But the truth is, no matter how frustrated we might be with the person, he or she does not, in fact, always lie. No matter how impressed we may be with someone, 
he or she does not, in fact, always have a smile on their face. The word always literally means at all times. There is not a person we know who does those things that we might say they always do all the time, at all times without fail. Yet Jesus did, at all times without fail, do those things that were pleasing to the Father. At all times he was about his Father's business. That must be our goal as well, to live our lives trying always to do the things that please the Father, always to be about my Father's business. Then the words, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, take on a thrilling meaning for us. What an incredibly wonderful thing to be able to say with our last dying breath. What a tremendous peace a person must feel at that moment. That is a peace that comes from an individual taking care every care, every trial and every heartache, and laying them at the feet of Jesus. It is a peace that comes from a person having taken every victory, every success, and every reason to rejoice and bowed to God in thanksgiving. It is a peace that finds God at its foundation and is sustained by unflinching and unfailing faithfulness and loyalty to him. It is a peace made possible because Jesus came here to be about his Father's business. And the last thing I'd like to talk to you about today is friends. Let's briefly consider the idea of friendship, what it means to be a friend and what it means to have a friend. I believe there are to be few words in the English language that are as beautiful and as meaningful as friend. Friends are there to share our joys and to help us with our struggles. In moments of reflection and reminiscence, we often find that they are part of our sweetest memories. In short, having friends is one of the things that makes life worthwhile. In Webster's New Universal Unabridged Dictionary, there are several definitions given for the word friend. The first two are a person attached to another by feelings of affection or personal regard, and a person who gives assistance, a patron, a supporter. When I think of such friends, I think of David and Jonathan. Understand that Jonathan was the son of King Saul, and thus the man who would have succeeded him to the throne under normal circumstances. David was the man chosen by God to take Saul's place. A person could understand if there had been an antagonistic rivalry between the two, but that was certainly not the case. In 1 Samuel 18 and verse 1, there is this beautiful expression of the friendship of these two men. And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. It is absolutely heart-wrenching to read the words of David as he lamented the death of Jonathan, his friend. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 25-27, through 27, we find, How are the mighty fallen in the midst of battle? O Jonathan, thou wast slain in thine high places. I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How the mighty are fallen, and the weapons of war perished. The hearts of these two men were knit together in so many ways, by courage, by love, and by covenant. What a beautiful illustration of friendship.
we must also recognize that true friends watch out for our eternal soul. And sometimes that may very well mean they're telling us things that are difficult for us to hear. Proverbs 27 verse 6 comes to mind when it says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Remember the old anti-drunk driving slogan, Friends don't let friends drink and drive? Well, what does a friend do, and I mean a real friend, when he sees his friend headed for spiritual trouble? He does everything he can to stop him within the parameters of God's word, even when it hurts his feelings to do so or brings the wrath of his friend upon him. No one likes to hear that he or she has sinned and is headed in the wrong direction, but no one is going to tell you that except a true friend. A friend's criticism may be so painful at first, hurting like an open wound, but if one can only bring himself to recognize that it gives out of love, the pain turns to gratitude. In consideration of friends, yet another verse comes to mind. Proverbs 27 and verse 17. It tells us that iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Those whom we trust and with whom we spend the most time will have the greatest influence upon us. In this manner, our friends sharpen our countenance as they provide a sounding board for our ideas. When and if those ideas are wrong or need to be redirected, true friends will tell us so. They give us encouragement and advice, which may not always be exactly what we want to hear. A friend will pick us up when we are down and try to help when we are hurting, but always based upon the principles of truth found in God's word. To have such a friend is to be blessed indeed. I hope these words have given you some things to think about. Thanks for listening.